So our Lord is still lying in state over there. I don't know why they didn't put the crucifix back up. But um, in any case, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray for us. Pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray, pray for us. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so guys, um, unlike the last couple of weeks, um, I, I can't see what you see. All right. So tell me if I walk off the screen or something. If I'm writing too small or whatever, because uh, I'm just going to depend on you guys. To tell me, okay? Um, good. Wish I, I wish I had a, a, a great lead into this, but we're, I think we're talking about <laughs> about impotence of all things. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, just to move along, I mean, happy after Thanksgiving, happy uh, beginning of Advent. And all the rest, but uh, we have we have to move along here. Um, M84. So, correct, Canon 1084. <clears throat> and these are the things that you need to um, be asking people about. Now, now usually you don't want want to just uh, so when someone when a couple comes in to, uh, to talk to you to get to get married, you don't want to say to them. So you have any problems? Well, at some point you're going to have to kind of ask something along these lines, but you're going to have to. You, know, you don't want to say, are you impotent? Can you, you know, can you do whatever, you know? Um, but you do have to ask them enough questions so that um, so Canon 1084 is addressed by everybody. And you'll see in the forms uh, that you'll find in the rectory um, that you need to look at. Okay, that's, that's part of what you have to do uh, before you get yourselves ordained. Uh, look at the forms they have in the rectory for all sorts of things. And one of the forms they have. It is uh, is called the PMI, the premarital investigation, and we'll talk. We'll be talking more about that. Um, and the PMI, um, basically, you, you bring each party into your uh, into the office separately. You put them under oath, and you ask them a lot of <laughs> a lot of questions. Some of which are, are kind of invasive, you know, but you have to. And one of the questions you'll ask is a couple of questions you'll probably ask is something along the lines of you have any kind of serious psychological problems if you've been treated by a psychiatrist or anything and you'll uh, it's one of the questions and, and different PMIs are worded differently uh, that are used by different dioceses but one of the questions was something along the lines of do you have any kind of a the old the old question was um, do you have um, any sort of a physical or mental defect that would uh, prevent you from having marriage relations so um, Clear. So, uh, so what is impotence? Because impotence can make a marriage invalid. So this is something you have to address, right? Um, now, uh, impotence itself is the um, it's the inability to complete the marriage act uh, to fulfill. You could even say to fulfill biologically with the with the act is intended to do. So the semen has to get uh, to. Uh, to the uterus, right? So um, uh, that, that's kind of that's really the what it co what it comes down to. So um, if if one of the parties, sometimes both, but one of the parties is unable to do that for whatever reason, there are physical problems, there there are psychiatric problems, there are all sorts of reasons why that can't happen. Um, then uh, then that that has to be addressed, and that could prevent the 
the marriage actually from taking place. You know? More often than not, because it would be immoral to attempt marriage relations before, um, before marriage, more often than not, this is discovered afterwards uh, when the couple has a lot of problems in the marriage and uh, any number of annulments are based on this, you know, and it's, but it's, it's heartbreaking for the, for the, uh, for the couple, as you can imagine, they could, um, I've seen this, they, they love each other dearly, but when it comes out in sexual relations, they can't do it for whatever reason, you know, um, and it's, it's really heartbreaking and, and they're embarrassed by it. And, and sometimes they will wait years before they finally, um, uh, try to address this and uh, and sometimes they'll come to a tribunal and it might be years and years later you know um and it's it's a difficult situation so so evidence itself is what i just said it's, it's the inability to complete the 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 marital act as it's designed by nature basically okay um and <clears throat> for it to invalidate a marriage um it has to be antecedent and perpetual. It can be absolute. It can be absolute or relative, but it has to be antecedent and perpetual. So, uh, to refresh your memory, antecedent means that, um, and usually this is discovered after they've been married for a while. Antecedent means that um, the, the the situation, whatever it is, the condition existed before the marriage. Okay. Uh, presumably, as I said, they were a person who was trying to act in a moral way and didn't know this, and it's discovered in the marriage. Right? Um, but, it, so, but the condition itself, and more often than not, uh, you need the, the assistance of a, psych, of a, of a maybe a psychiatrist or a, or a doctor um, who, who would specialize in this. Um, but uh, it would have to be the condition itself would have to be traced to it would have to have been there before they uh, before they got married um and it has to be perpetual in other words i mean i, I suppose i'm not married so i don't know but i presume this happens uh somebody's not in the mood um you know somebody would have for whatever reason had too much to drink uh, some kind of medication whatever and and temporarily can't do it you know so that's not perpetual that that would be once in a while you know um, and that happens frequently, myself I'm told. So, um, uh, so that's, uh, that would be, so it would, but it would have to be perpetual. In other words, uh, if a person sometimes can uh, achieve sexual relations, well, then the person is not impotent as far as uh, uh, canon law is concerned, right? So it would have to be uh, antecedent, condition existed before the marriage, and perpetual. It, it's always the case. It's not like sometimes a person can, sometimes a person can. Okay. And it could be absolute or relative. You guys can see me, right? Okay. It would have, it, um, it could be absolute or relative. So the person might simply be incapable of marriage relations. There's some kind of a physical defect, whatever it is, or a psychiatric problem. The person can't just can't do it, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but that's it. The person can't do it. Um, and and that would be absolute uh, impotence. The person is simply incapable. Okay, absolute. Or it could be relative. The person uh, might be capable of having sexual relations sometimes, but the person is incapable of having sexual relations with with the spouse. And that can happen. And that obviously would be uh, would be for for psychiatric reasons. You know. Um, 
whatever they might be. But but uh, and you could see how that that could happen. That that a couple um, just in layman's terms, that a couple can't can't uh, can't make the transition from being uh, very very good friends to being uh, to being lovers who who sexually desire one another. You know, there could be all sorts of conflicts there and so forth um, that could prevent um, a person having. Uh, being able to have sexual relations with this one particular person. So that is relative impotence. Okay, so you got it? Okay, so absolute and relative and antecedent and perpetual. Okay, so it can be either absolute or relative, but it must be antecedent and perpetual for it to nullify uh, the marriage. Okay, um, if you have one of these cases uh, and it, it comes up before the marriage, uh, then um, you need to uh, send whoever it is, uh, the, the, the man or the woman, or maybe both for some reason, to, uh, to a specialist of some kind right, who deals with these things. And you would, you know, if you don't know who to get in touch with, call your family life office in the, in, in the diocese and, and find out from them. Okay? And that has to be addressed before they get married. Okay? Uh, more often than not, as I said, it's discovered after they get married, and then you're talking about the tribunal. Or it might be they're going to you for help, and then in that case you try to help them find somebody who can uh, who can help them with this, either a, a medical doctor or a psych, uh, psychiatrist, whatever. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and if there's there's if there's any doubt about it, uh, don't worry about number two. That's too confusing. It's mostly for a tribunal. Um, but um, if you have any doubt about how to proceed about this or anything else, always uh, feel free to call your chancery office or your tribunal. You know, uh, that's what they're there for. They're, uh, sometimes people who work in bureaucracies forget that they are there to serve the, the priests, the deacons in the parishes and not the other way around. Okay. So feel free to call them. Now, impotence is, is different from sterility. Okay. Sterility is something else. Sterility just means that Whatever the, the, the sexual act can be accomplished, but uh, the the sperm isn't impregnating the, the egg for whatever reason. You know, um, you know, and again, I'm not a medical doctor, but there are all sorts of reasons why that could happen. Um, uh, but but that doesn't invalidate a marriage. Okay, so sterility, the 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 seminal seminal fluid gets to where it's supposed to go, but um, <coughs> But impregnation doesn't take place, and and it could be discovered that one of them or one of them is is um, uh, is sterile for whatever reason. You can't conceive. But if they can achieve the sexual act, the marriage is valid. If they cannot achieve the sexual act, the marriage is invalid. Uh, whether the person is sterile or not is irrelevant to validity. Okay. Um, it does mention though, Canon 1098. Which we're going to get to, which is which is fraud. If a couple gets married and one of them really wants to have children, and the other person knows, say that he is sterile and doesn't reveal it to her, then then this could be a case of fraud. That's something else. The sterility in it, in and of itself does not um, nullify marriage or prohibit marriage. It doesn't even make it uh, illicit. Okay. All right. So that's one impediment. Okay. That's an impediment. What kind of law is that? Is that divine law or ecclesiastical law that says impotence would make a marriage invalid? 
Yes, again, no. Natural law. Because it gets to the very nature of marriage, right? Now, remember what marriage is, uh, basically a union between a man and a woman, and one of the the, um, the, the ends of marriage is is, uh, is one of the goods of marriage, and the ends of marriage is, is procreation of offspring, right? If a person is incapable of that, the person is incapable of marriage, so it's invalid, okay? Um, so the next impediment we get to is Canon 1085 prior bond, prior marriage bond. A uh, person bound by the bond of a prior marriage, um, even if it was not consummated, invalidly attempts marriage. Okay? Now, is this divine law or ecclesiastical law? Divine law. Sorry? Oh, come on, guys. Is anybody here a baptized Catholic? No, no one is a baptized Catholic. <laughs> well, if you open the Bible, you'll find the Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Okay? Guys, get this. This is divine law. And sometimes um, and sometimes I discover this in classes that, that, um, that guys don't know um, or women, whoever's taking the class, they don't know the basic catechism, you know? Marriage is permanent. This is divine law. This is how God created marriage, okay? If you don't know that by now, you got a real problem, okay? Does everyone understand that? Okay. Does anyone not understand the fact that if you're, uh, whoever, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery? Okay. If you're married to someone validly, you cannot marry someone else. Uh, one, I forget one of the prophets says, I hate divorce. Okay. Um, I don't know why I'm getting these stares. Like, is this coming as news to anybody? No. Okay. Yeah. Because you're looking. No. Kind of quiz. no. Oh, okay. No. Just, <laughs> just intent. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is not news to anybody, right? Because the whole culture is against this, right? Culture is all about uh, breaking up relationships. We don't want to make any permanent commitments in our culture, right? But uh, this is this is marriage as designed by God, right? This is divine law, if ever there is a divine law. Okay. I remember um, when I was in Australia, I was down in Sydney, Australia. Uh, I told you about that, right? I went down there and was helping uh, Cardinal Pell. Did I tell you about that? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, um, I was asked. Uh, um, he asked me to go down there and, and help him with some problems he was having with his tribunal. Um, and I remember talking to him and he said, um, he said, you know, there's a lot of talk and you get this in your scripture classes. I'm sure there's a lot of talk among some scripture scholars about trying to figure out what are, what are the authentic words of the historical Jesus? There's a big movement among, among, um, Protestants, uh, many decades ago to, uh, to discover the historical Jesus as opposed to, uh, the church Jesus, which is what you find in, um, in scripture and, and, and some extreme Protestants wanted to find the actual words of, of the Lord as opposed to what is in the Bible, you know, the truth. good luck, you know, it's the whole thing is the word of God, right? So, um, but uh, I remember Cardinal Pell said, even the most extreme, um, you know, radical Protestant uh, uh, scripture scholars would have to admit that the words of the Lord about marriage, about divorce and remarriage, are authentic words because they were so strange to the time, 
they had to have come from the Lord. I mean, why else? Why would he have said something like that? Um, if why would words like that be in there if they had to come from the Lord Himself? Because it went against the whole tenor of the time. You know, where um, uh, even among uh, among Jewish people, you could have you could have divorce. So uh, I remember Cardinal Pell saying to me, um, "These are these are words that even the most radical scripture scholar has to admit are authentic words of the Lord Jesus Christ." So if you if you yourself find somebody is is validly married and you're doing a marriage for that uh, a wedding for that person woe to you woe to you because the lord has had some very serious words about about that so prior bond if a person is in a prior um marriage a true marriage right um that's i guess i guess that's where where that confusion lies on uh prior bond uh people that get married on other churches no we're talking about a real marriage Baptized, Catholic baptized marriages. Anybody. Anybody, exactly. So, and they're divorcing all the time. All right, here we go again. Two atheists, not baptized. They hate the church, they hate God, they hate everything. All right, they're jumping out of an airplane with, uh, with uh, um, somebody who has credentials to do weddings. And on their way down with their parachutes, he asks them, you know, and they have a wedding license and everything else. He asks them the questions. Is that a valid marriage or not? It's valid. Yes. Guys, you got to get this. Okay, you got to get this. This is really, really important. One is a Catholic. Forget about Catholics. Jackie, you had, you had a question? Yes, it's valid because it's not bound to ecclesiastical. Correct. Exactly. All right? So forget about Catholics for, for a moment, okay? The, the book of Genesis, the beginning of creation of the human race, okay? What does it say? God created the male and female, okay? For this reason, a man shall leave his his um, his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is instituted by God, okay? It's not an invention of the Catholic Church. It's instituted by God. So if somebody is actually married... Okay then that person can't go go marry somebody else. Okay. Now, yes, we're going to encounter, you know, I'm sure everybody here has somebody in their family who's invalidly married, right? Because they're Catholic and they ran off and got married somewhere else, whatever, you know. But real marriage, okay, if it's a real marriage, then, then they can't get married to somebody else because they're already married. There's a marriage bond that we will see, all right? And, and I think as we've said already, the presumption is always that a marriage is valid. Okay, if you're saying, well, it doesn't matter because they're not validly married, you have to prove that. Okay, so if you're, you can't be deacon stupid in your, in your, um, in your parish, and say and, and guess, you know, um, like, you know, John and Jill were they were married before, but they had psychological problems, so the marriage is invalid. So I'm going to do a new, new marriage. No, you can't. You can't guess about these things that marriage is valid uh and you uh if they say it's not valid they have to prove it and they have to go to the tribunal it's a whole big deal okay all right you get you get it okay this comes from god okay all right because i, I you know i'll tell you and you can and you're already uh experiencing this in your own thinking um I, I have given, um, at the end of this course, I'm going to give you a, a you know, big marriage case, right, to uh, 
you'll have to you have to kind of uh, figure out all the different elements of it. But uh, I've had guys who were so bogged down with all the the minutiae of canon law that they couldn't see the forest for the trees. And so uh, you know, some somebody say say that the case is uh, you know you have a Catholic who wants to marry somebody who's unbaptized, blah blah blah. Okay, so. Uh, I was married before to somebody else, right? So I've had guys say, um, okay, well, he'll have to get a dispensation uh, to marry uh, an unbaptized person, and he'll need a dispensation from previous marriage, and blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute. <laughs> you can't dispense from divine law. Okay? You, you can't just, if, if somebody is validly married, and as far as you're concerned, the person is validly married, if you think the person is not, you send them to the tribunal. You don't make that decision. Right, you're breaking canon law and very possibly divine law, right? Um, so uh, if a person is married, then uh, that that is divine law and it's out of your hands. You know, maybe somebody else can uh, can address it at tribunal or something. But you can't just say, oh, that's that's one more dispensation. You can't dispense from divine law. You can only dispense from ecclesiastical laws. Okay, so so be careful that you don't miss the forest for the trees because, as I said, sometimes. We get so bogged down with all these minutiae that we forget the very basic teachings of the faith, okay? And we imperil our souls, therefore. You imperil your soul and the souls of the people you're dealing with. So be very um, aware of this. Uh, we're, we're, we're bound by the teachings of our Lord, okay? So a person bound, Canon 1085, a person bound by the bond of a prior marriage, even if it was not consummated, invalidly attempts marriage. And um, and even this is something to note also. Um, number two is the situation where, okay, uh, they were married before, but you sent you sent them to the tribunal. It turns out the tribunal, um, the, the finding of the tribunal is the marriage was invalid. And the person comes back to you and tells you, oh, they told me that, that uh, there's going to be an affirmative decision at the tribunal. Don't you dare schedule a wedding until you know for certain, okay, and you have the documentation from the tri tribunal in your hot little hands, okay, because uh, the person may have been mistaken, or the per there might be a vanitum attached to it or something else, so be very, very careful. So it says, even, even if the prior marriage is invalid or dissolved for any reason, we're going to get to that, it is not on that account permitted to contract another before the nullity or dissolution of the prior marriage is established legitimately and certainly, okay? So it's not your decision, it is the tribunal's decision, and you wait until they have contacted you officially, you have the documentation in your hand. Okay? So here goes Deacon Stupid again. Deacon Stupid. Yeah. I'm interviewing a couple for marriage. Uh-huh. And they were both supposedly divorced from a, a civil courts. Uh-huh. Right? And they bring their divorce paperwork. Uh-huh. I got to send that, some of those documents to the tribunal? It depends. Were they Catholic? No. So the two non-Catholics who married in City Hall. So fine, they're, they're baptized Catholics. They were married in City Hall, never in the church. Huge difference. Huge difference. We're going to get to this when we get to Canon 1108. If they were Catholics, uh, we're going to see, we're jumping ahead. Canon 1108 is an ecclesiastical law that says for validity, Catholics must be married in a Catholic ceremony. So if it's a, if it's a Catholic who ran off to City Hall, eh, invalid. Okay, uh, you, you, and we'll get it. We'll go into that. What you have to send down to the tribunal is very, very fast. You know? Thank you. But if it's two non-Catholics, 
where they got married at City Hall. They took a helicopter. I have, I have some friends who uh, were married invalidly, and, and they realized it, and then they got the marriage convalidated. Their first marriage, they took a helicopter to the top of a mountain somewhere, and they had a whole big thing with a some kind of a civil official or something, and they spent a fortune. And then, then they realized it was in, it was invalid because they, they were both Catholics. So, so um, um, but if it's if they're two non-Catholics married, however, then it's valid. Okay. Right. Okay. So moving along, uh, another impediment: disparity of worship, disparity of cult, right. disparity of worship, um, disparity. Of worship, ah. we cannot see. Ah. The other one is it's on the on the right. Or disparity of here, this is better. Of cult, okay. You see the word cult? Disparity of cult, C U L T, okay. So disparity of worship or disparity of cult. Um, Canon 1086. A marriage between two persons, one of whom has been baptized in the Catholic Church or received into it, uh, and the other of whom is not baptized, is invalid. Uh, some of you will have, uh, if you have an older edition of the book, you will see it says, uh, a marriage between two persons, one of whom has been baptized in the Catholic Church or received into it, and has not defected from it by a formal act. Uh, that, that one phrase was taken out uh, in 2009. Um, so the, the canon doesn't include that. So don't worry about expecting from a formal act. So you have two persons. One is baptized in the Catholic Church, and the other is not baptized. It's invalid. So a, Catholic, a baptized Catholic marrying an unbaptized person is invalid. It's called disparity of worship or disparity of cult. And we'll get into this later. It is very different from a baptized Catholic marrying a baptized person of any other denomination. That is not invalid. Okay. The question here is baptism. Is it a Catholic, a baptized Catholic marrying an unbaptized person? Okay. And of course, an unbapt a, a baptized non-Catholic marrying an unbaptized person is valid. Okay. But a baptized Catholic Baptized Catholic marrying an unbaptized person is invalid. Disparity of cult, it's called, or disparity of worship. Okay. It's an ecclesiastical law. All right. We've been looking at divine laws up to now. This is an ecclesiastical law. It's a law for a very good reason, because there are all sorts of problems that a person can get into that could jeopardize his salvation if he marries an unbaptized person. Um, and that's why it's an ecclesiastical law. But as an ecclesiastical law, it can be dispensed. Okay. Um, I'll just add, and we don't have time to get into it in, in detail, but if you have a situation like this, and you will, you have them all the time, right? In, in, um, in the metropolitan area, you're always going to get Catholics who want to marry people who are not baptized. We're talking about unbaptized persons. And it's not, it's not going to be a sacrament, and you really have to uh, talk to them about uh, about what their life is going to be like together. First of all, does a Catholic say it's a, a the, the guy is a Catholic? Is he really living his faith? It may be that he's not living his faith. He couldn't, he couldn't care less. Um, he was baptized Catholic, and okay, so I'm a Catholic, you know. But that's about it. 
he finds a nice Jewish girl, whatever it is, or you know, an atheist, whatever, wants to marry her. So you have a lot of work to do there, okay? You got to bring the guy back to the faith. And, uh, and then you have to uh, explore with the couple what their relationship is going to be like if he believes this and she denies that, okay? Because if you're a baptized Catholic, our Lord Jesus Christ should be the very center of your life and what your life is all about. So if that's the center of your life and now you're going to marry someone whom you're going to share your whole life with, how is that going to work if that person denies, you know, doesn't believe in our Lord at all, okay? So that is a huge pastoral problem. Unfortunately, we don't have to get it. We don't have time to get into it now. But just this is part of your job when you're preparing a couple for marriage. Okay, and you have to ask them the, the tough questions about what they're going to do, uh, what their relationship is going to be like. Is he really living his faith? What does she believe? Right, all that. Okay, what is life all about? These are important questions that a lot of people haven't really thought much about before they they want to jump into marriage. It's one of the reasons why marriages break up. Um, and we're going to see um, there are conditions um, that have to be fulfilled before the person, uh, before there can be a dispensation that's granted. We'll, we'll, um, uh, the, these conditions are there for both for uh, for uh, for Catholics marrying unbaptized persons and for Catholics marrying baptized non-Catholics. And we're going to get to them when we get to those canons 1125 and 1126. Okay, so, uh, but the Church. The church principle forbids you to marry, uh, do a wedding for a Catholic marrying an unbaptized person. Um, if, if, if you've done all the pastoral heavy lifting and you think it's going to work, you can apply for a dispensation. But it's, but it's a dispensation. It's, it's a relaxation of the law in a particular case. But there are hurdles the church puts there, and we'll, uh, we'll see those in Canons 1125 and 1126. You do the same thing for a Catholic uh, marrying a baptized non-Catholic, but it's not, uh, it's not for validity. All right. So moving along, Canon 1087, those in sacred orders invalidly attempt marriage. Okay. So we know that. I don't think we have to belabor that point. Uh, that, yes, that's an ecclesiastical law. Also, Canon 1088, those bound by a public perpetual vow of chastity in a religious institute invalidly attempt marriage. If these situations come up, if you have an ex-priest or an ex-deacon, uh, for that matter, um, or you have somebody mixed religious, um, then uh, the best thing to do would be to call the chancery office or call the tribunal okay, to see how to deal with it. Um, abduction. <laughs> I don't think this is this. Who knows? I'll say this and then it'll happen. So um, we'll just read it, but we're not going to comment because it doesn't happen too often in my experience. Um, Canon 1089: No marriage can exist between a man and a woman who has been abducted or at least detained with a view of contracting marriage with her, unless the woman chooses marriage of her own accord after she's been separated from the captor and established in a safe and free place. Why is this here? There's a whole history behind this, right? That we don't have time to get into. So um, just to be aware that that's there, but I hope that's not going to come up in your experience. Cremen, the Latin word is cremen, crime in English, right? Um, I hope this won't come up in your experience either because this, this involves murder. Um, so I'll just read it and we won't spend any time on it. Uh, Canon 1090, anyone who with a view to entering marriage with a certain person has brought about the death of that person's spouse or of one's own spouse invalidly attempts this marriage. 
and those who have brought about the death of the spouse by mutual physical or moral cooperation also invalidly attempt a marriage together. That wouldn't be there, that canon wouldn't be there if it hadn't happened. So it's happened. But um, if there's a murder involved, um, I would suggest that you call, you call the tribunal, call the um, um, call the chancery office. Okay, um, if somebody has, has plotted the murder of uh, of their um, of their fiance's former spouse, you know, um, you, you really just want to tread lightly there. Okay? So I'm not going to get into that in any detail. However, consanguinity, our old friend, consanguinity. And in 1091, we need to know this. In the direct line of consanguinity, marriage is invalid between all ancestors and descendants, both legitimate and natural. Okay. Um, so for consanguinity and jumping ahead uh, for affinity as well, in the direct line, no. Okay. It's just invalid in the direct line. Okay. You know what we mean by the direct line by now, right? So you can't marry... You know your 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 daughter, your granddaughter, your mother, your, your grandmother. Okay, I mean that's you know that's so bizarre. But um, so anything in the direct line is invalid. Okay. Now for consanguinity only, uh, marriage is in the collateral line. Marriage is invalid up to and including the fourth degree. What is the fourth degree? What's the second degree? Four people in the, in the line. All right. <clears throat> See the common ancestor? He has um, all those. John, um, Fabian. I don't want to write. I don't know if you can even read this. Fabian and uh, and Jill. Can you, can you see that? Can you see the lines? No. No. Can you can you see my hand? Part of it. Oh. You have to move over to the next board to the right. Um, I thought we'd figure this out. Okay, I can't see what I'm doing, so you tell me. Am I moving in the right direction? No, they're the opposite way. Absolutely. Keep going. Keep going. A little bit more. Keep going. More. More, more, more. Okay, that's it. All right. Can you Perfect. see me where I'm standing now? Yes. Okay, so. All right. So the common ancestor has children and grandchildren. What is the relationship of Lois to Fabian? Brother and sister. Brother and sister, okay? What degree is that? First. Yes, again. Second. Second, sorry. Second. Sorry. Second. Right? Yeah. Three people, you subtract the common ancestor. One, two, three. Three minus one is how, how much? Two. Two. Second degree of the collateral line. Okay? John now. 
What is John's relationship to the common ancestor? Second, direct line. In common parlance, what is John called? Grandson. John's a grandson. Grandson, okay. What is John's relationship to Fabian? It's, uh... No, uncle and nephew, right? Yeah. Yeah, nephew. Anyone not see that? Okay, uncle and nephew, right? What is John's relationship to Jill? Cousins. They're first cousins, right? First cousins. Got you got that? Right? Okay. So John's relationship to Jill is first cousins. What is it? What is their relationship in terms of lines and degrees and all that? Fourth degree, fourth degree, and collateral. Okay, it's consequently the fourth degree and what line? Collateral. Collateral line. So our canon says in the collateral line, marriage is invalid up to and including the fourth degree. They okay, got it? Up to first cousins. Okay. They could marry second cousins. Pardon? They could marry second cousins. Yeah, they could marry second cousins. In the, in the new code, the old code, uh, this one, this more extensive. I'm old code. Yeah. <laughs> still be weird marrying a second cousin, right? But that was Rudy Giuliani, I think. I think he married a second cousin under the old code, something that was invalid, something like that. That's what somebody told me, but I don't know. Um, so, all right, so you need to, to be aware of that. In terms of consanguinity, um, in, uh, in the collateral line, it's invalid up to and including the fourth degree, okay? Uh, which would be first cousins. For affinity, believe it or not, it, it doesn't matter. Affinity, we're talking about um, invalidity only in the direct line, but not in the collateral line, okay? Right? Uh, don't worry about number three. Um, uh, and But number four, a marriage is never permitted if doubt exists whether the partners are related by consequently in any, in any degree, okay? Uh, the direct line or in the second, second degree of the collateral line. So if there's any doubt about this, Get it straightened out before you try to do the marriage, the wedding, and again, feel free to call the chancery, call the tribunal, whatever, but get it straightened out, okay? So uh, for consanguinity, fourth degree of the collateral line, first cousins is invalid. And of course, everything in the direct line is, is invalid for uh, consanguinity and affinity. But affinity doesn't have any invalidity when it comes to the collateral line. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Okay, Canon 1093, the impediment of public propriety arises from an invalid marriage after the establishment of common life or from notorious or public concubinage. It nullifies marriage in the first degree of the direct line between the man and the blood relatives of the woman and vice versa. So you have uh, two people living together. It's, uh, they're not married, it's an invalid marriage. There is, we used to say, they're shacking up, whatever it is, um, but they have, but children are involved, right? Um, uh, from a from a, 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 pre, a previous uh, marriage on the part of somebody, right? So um, in that case, uh, marriage is null uh, if we're talking about the first degree of the direct line between the man and the blood relatives of the woman, and vice versa, right? So he he can't marry; they can't marry each other's children from previous relationships or whatever type. Okay? Okay, Canon 1094, uh, those who are related in the direct line or in the second degree of the collateral line 
by a legal relationship arising from adoption cannot contract marriage together validly. So if somebody is adopted, they can't marry the adopted parent, the adopted parent basically. They can't marry, and you can see this possibly happening, they can't marry their adopted brother or sister. Second degree of the collateral line. They only have a legal relationship, it's not a blood relationship. They can't marry their brother or sister by adoption. So just be careful, just remember where this is. I'm not going to require that you remember the exact degree for adoption, but if it comes up, remember where this is. Remember that it could possibly be invalid. I know we're going through these things quickly, we have to, but any questions so far? The great thing about the new code is we're now finished with the impediments, it's great. So in the old code, it went on and on, you know, because you had all sorts of impediments. But just remember, some of them are divine law, some of them are ecclesiastical law, but they all affect validity. So if it's ecclesiastical law, you need a dispensation. Now, matrimonial consent. And now we come, I used to, with the seminarians, when I would come to Canon 1095, I would precede it by reading the beginning of Paradise Lost. Because this Canon 1095, you know Paradise Lost? By John Milton, one of the greatest literary achievements in the English language. Has anyone ever heard of it? Oh my God. No one here has heard of Paradise Lost. Does anyone here, one person in the whole class? Two. Two, who's you've heard of? No, I knew them. Okay, all right, four guys. Paradise Regained, Paradise Lost, John Milton. Exactly, okay, so a few of you agree. It's one of the greatest masterpieces of English literature. Anyway, but it has a very dramatic beginning, you know, by Milton. Because he's introducing the story of the fall of mankind, you know. So I used to read that for the seminarians as a way of introducing Canon 1095. Because Canon 1095 has gotten us into an awful lot of trouble, an awful lot of trouble. Cardinal Egan, when he was in Senior Egan advising Pope St. John Paul the Great, was advising against including at least Canon 1095 number two, which is the heart of the problem. And he wrote articles about that, and he proved to be prophetic. Canon 1095 was the basis of most annulments in most American tribunals. And it still is widely used, but now it's used in a more intelligent way, according to what the words actually say. But it was being used, it's so vaguely worded that, as Cardinal Egan said, you could drive a Mack truck through it. It was this huge loophole. It's very, very problematic. And it was used for most annulments for many years in the United States and in some other countries. 
and there had to be big reform. That's part of the reform that we had in the tribunal, in our own tribunal in the Archdiocese of New York. So, um, so what does it say? <clears throat> the following are incapable of contracting marriage. Okay, so uh, th this is just what it says. We're talking about validity of a marriage, and it's talking about people who are just incapable of contracting marriage. Therefore, the marriage, the attempted marriage, would be invalid. So the following are incapable of contracting marriage. I'll just read it, and then I'm going to comment. Um, number one, those who lack the sufficient use of reason. Number two, those who suffer from a grave defect of discretion of judgment concerning the essential matrimonial rights and duties mutually to be handed over and accepted. Not that good. Moving on. <laughs> those who are not able to assume the essential obligations of marriage for causes of a psychic nature. They shouldn't say psychiatric nature. So, um, so look at, at, at one and three first, and then the, the problem is number two. Okay. So, Canon 1095, number one, the following are incapable of contracting marriage. Those who lack the sufficient use of reason. Okay. Obviously, if a person's out of their mind, they can't contract marriage. Right. Um, a person has whatever it is, some kind of psychiatric problem. Uh, a person might have advanced dementia. Um, all sorts of things. A person is incapable of, of, of reasoning. They lack the sufficient use of reason. This could even apply to, um, to say, an alcoholic uh, or, or, uh, or a drug addict. I had a case um, where a, a couple, I was, I was newly ordained and I didn't know what I was doing, right? Um, and uh, the, uh, I was in the rectory where I was, there was a pastor and there was, there was another priest there who had been there for a number of years. And the pastor one day came to me and asked me if I would do a wedding um, that, that the other priest had refused to do. Father Bernie Heater, a very fine priest of the Archdiocese. He refused to do the wedding. And I didn't know why, you know. And the pastor asked me to do it. Okay, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. Yeah, so fine. So we have the, and I hadn't done any, any of the preparation. That had all been done by Father Heater, but then he had refused to do the wedding. And he had good reasons, as it turned out. So we have the wedding rehearsal, and you know, again, I'm newly ordained. I don't know what I'm doing, um, and I had set up the chairs in the sanctuary and the kneelers and everything. And here's what we do. Here's how you process. Here's where you kneel, and they're in the sanctuary. And this guy, the groom, was staggering all over the place. He was drunk out of his mind. Right? Um, I was trying to give a little helpful advice. And I, about putting the rings on, and I said, you know, when you put the ring on, don't force the issue because, you know, uh, you, you're probably going to be nervous and you might be sweating, and uh, and 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 things tend to expand if that happens, you know. So um, uh, the ring might not go on right away, and so on and so forth. Well, just that motion, like you know, you can imagine what he did with that, and he made all sorts of well, just one obscene joke about that, about what he was going to doing, going to be doing later the night of the wedding and so forth. This is standing in the sanctuary while he's, you know, tottering on his feet, you know. Um, this is the wedding rehearsal that I was attempting to do. And if I were to have that, have that situation now, I would have kicked them all out, you know. And I mentioned that later to Father Heater, and he said, you should have kicked them all out. <laughs> so so um, in any case. But if he had shown up the next day, the next day he showed up and he, he seemed to have had some coffee or something, and he, was, he seemed to be functioning. Uh, so, so that he knew what he was doing. Um, but if he'd shown up in the same condition the next day, 
and had gone through the, the actual wedding, you know, do you, uh, do you promise to, and so forth, you take so-and-so for your lawfully wedded wife, and he said, and he had been staggering and saying, hey, 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 you could make the argument that that marriage is invalid, because at that moment, he lacked a sufficient use of reason. Now, if a person is making a, a contract of any kind, uh, but especially if they're making a marriage contract, and if they're out of their mind at that point, whether they're strung out on drugs or they're or they're they're drunk so that they don't know what they're doing, then it's just that they don't know what they're doing, so the marriage would be invalid because at that moment they lack the sufficient use of reason. Right? Um, Canon 1095.3. Again, the following are incapable of contracting marriage. Those who are not able to assume the essential obligations of marriage for causes of a psychic nature, you know, a psychological, uh, let's say psychological nature, psychiatric nature, those who are not able to assume, they're just incapable of marriage. They're incapable of marriage because of some kind of a psychiatric problem, uh, whatever it might be, uh, you know, schizophrenia or something, whatever it might be, but they have some kind of a, a very, very grave psychiatric problem that simply prevents them from being able to uh, assume the responsibilities of marriage. Okay? Um, the, but, and the, the, the determining factor is that condition. Okay? Uh, and they, you know, they haven't been able to treat it sufficiently, whatever it might be. Okay? So that's pretty clear as well, right? So far, so good? Okay, so marriage would be in, invalid for uh, any, if you have any of those conditions present. The problem is, Canon 1095, number two, and as I said, this was the basis of the, the vast majority of annulments in the United States for many years, and it led to, it led to a huge mess uh, in the Church of the United States. Uh, those who suffer from a grave defect of discretion of judgment concerning the essential matrimonial rights and duties mutually to be handed over and accepted. Does anyone know what that means? If you do, you give you get an A. You can Work out right now. <laughs> is it a, per so, a person that lacks insight? Okay, that's a start. Lacks insight about what? About himself, about... Yes, yes, that's it. Go ahead. He is an A. Wait, you're going to get an A now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so insight about himself. What about the person, himself or herself? Um, I mean, it could be a person that, for example... Someone who, you know, is kind of a playboy type person that runs around a lot and then all of a sudden meets somebody and says, uh, well, this is the person that's going to, like, stop me from doing all this and gets married and then winds up not, you know, just living the same life that he lived before. Yeah, that's 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 one scenario that, that boy, I've done so many annulments on, like <laughs> that. Um, yeah, certainly that's one scenario. But in a larger sense, the insight is about, say it's a guy, so we have to keep changing pronouns, right? Um, so it's it's about himself, that he doesn't understand himself well enough to know that he simply doesn't have his act together enough to be able to fulfill uh, the responsibilities of marriage. He doesn't realize that he's basically this immature uh, this immature idiot, you know, who, who can't uh, live life as an adult. You know, and and, um, and he doesn't realize he can't do that. He sees other people getting married, so he thinks he can do it too, but he can't. And he and he has so little self-insight that he doesn't see that about himself. You know, um, any I think normal person would would say, say you're obsessive compulsive, like I'm obsessive compulsive. You know, uh, um, Father Benedict Rochelle, 
the, the great, uh, you know he, who he is, right? He founded the, the uh, Congregation of the Franciscans of the Renewal. Um, you see them all around, guys in great habits and so forth. They study here. Uh, very great, wise, saintly guy, you know. Um, he said the perfect vocation is, um, he said, you, you have um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder with mild hysterical tendencies. And he said, that is the perfect vocation. Mm-hmm. But at the same, but by the same token, that kind of a person would have problems getting married. You know, I could just imagine if I were to get married, my poor wife. You know, I mean, I'm so obsessed with compulsive about her, you know, drive her nuts. You know, so um, uh, and you have to know that about yourself. Uh, not you guys in particular, right? But but a person needs to know that about themselves. You know, know what their strengths and their weaknesses are, and know if they're really able to. Um, to function in this kind of, of a relationship. So they have to know enough about themselves to know if they're capable of this kind of an intimate, you know, relationship with somebody, a permanent, you know, intimate relationship and, and all that goes with it. Right? And so many people, especially in this day and age, for all sorts of reasons, um, are just astonishing in their lack of insight about themselves. And they get themselves into all sorts of trouble because they try to marry people uh, and and they, they're incapable of marriage because they they don't have their act together enough to do it. They don't know themselves well enough to do it. You know? um, that also was, relates, I'm oh, sorry, that also ahead. relates to somebody who's too young to make a decision, like maybe they're 17, 18 type of thing, and they want to get married because they think they're in love, and then they couldn't make a, the proper decision because of their immaturity. Yeah, there are all sorts of possibilities. Uh, age, it's a chronological age itself uh, wouldn't be the determining factor. We all know, I hope we all know, uh, kids who are 18 who are much more mature than people we know who are in their 50s, right? So um, uh, it depends on the, on, on the individual uh, person. But uh, um, but this is the problem. This Unfortunately, this is a vaguely worded canon. And oh my God, there's been so much written about this. I, I remember once I went over to, to Rome um, for a conference just on Canon 1095 number two, to try, where they had officials from the Vatican who were trying to explain to us what this really meant, what this really means, right? So it has to be, it's not something trivial. Unfortunately, uh, what happened in this country was that people saw, um, uh, they what they read was, oh, the person has bad judgment. The person has bad judgment. So uh, th- this guy, you know, he's a nice guy, but he met this girl. He didn't realize this girl was, was somebody who was, um, I don't know, had, had an active social life, and he's an introvert, and he doesn't, he, um, and he doesn't, um, and he, he, made a, he made the wrong choice of the person who's going to marry. Uh, it's all about the other person. No, it's not about that. It's about the person himself. The person lacks insight into himself, uh, or she lacks insight into herself, about their ability uh, truly to, to live out marriage, right? Uh, so, and as Cardinal Egan said, you could drive a Mack truck through this, and this was used, you know, for all sorts of things. I mean, the most trivial reasons, you know. Um, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't realize that he wouldn't like her, her cologne, not really, but, you know, or something. And she didn't realize that she wouldn't like his necktie or something. Not, not quite that bad, but, but anything, you know. Uh, they, they, they would just say, person lacks judgment, whatever that means. No, it's very specific. The person lacks uh, that insight into himself or herself that is necessary 
to be able to figure out if you're able to do this or not, and the person doesn't know himself or herself well enough to have some kind of an understanding about whether or not they would be able to live out the responsibilities of marriage. So it's very vague. We kind of all know it when we see it, and we've seen it all the time. And this applies actually to an awful lot of people in this day and age. People don't know what they're doing. They're very immature. That word immaturity comes up a lot. Immaturity in itself is not grounds for declaring a marriage invalid. But it plays a role. A person isn't grown up enough to be able to live marriage, whatever it might be. So whatever the causes, the bottom line is the person doesn't have enough self-insight to realize that he or she is not really able at this point in their life to live in this kind of a permanent, intimate relationship. And you kind of see it all the time. There is enormous, enormous jurisprudence on this, jurisprudence from the Roman Rota about all the different ways in which people can really get themselves messed up according to Canon 1095 number two. We simply don't have the time to get into it. But if you have a couple, first of all, if they want to get married, they're coming to see you and you see this kind of behavior, whatever it might be. You see they're acting in a very immature way. You see that somebody might have some kind of a psychological problem. You see that there might be problems there in terms of what are both of them really being able to live this kind of an intimate relationship. I know a couple, they spend all their free time playing softball. They're involved in leagues and so on. It's all great. But what about spending time with each other? And are they going to be able to settle down and really live marriage? So you have to look at these things. When a couple comes to you to get married, you have to look and see how they're relating to each other and ask yourself this question because a number of you are married yourselves. Ask this question, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And a lot of the time you've got to use your gut instinct and really talk to them about this. Okay, so Canon 1095 number two can apply in cases like that. You said earlier that this was the basis for the majority of annulments. No longer? I mean, more past tense than currently? Past tense, yeah, because there was a big reform. Oh, I remember St. John Paul was furious about this. And every year this would be addressed. Every year the Pope gives an address to the Sacred Roman Rota. And he would bring this up all the time. He would say there is a specific application to Canon 1095 number two. It doesn't apply to absolutely everything under the sun. And every year tribunals have to send in an annual report to the Apostolic Signatura, the Supreme Court of the Church. And the Signatura supervises all tribunals throughout the world. And so each year every tribunal would get a letter from the Signatura evaluating what's going on in the tribunal. Very often it's a form letter for a whole country. But sometimes there would be a specific letter for a specific tribunal that had all sorts of problems. And this was one of the most frequently addressed issues, that Canon 1095 two was being used illegitimately and probably invalidly 
uh, to declare all sorts of marriages invalid that were not invalid. You know, uh, every everybody has psychological issues, right? Uh, that that was uh, Father Benedict Rochelle's point. You know, if you want, if you if you are um, uh, a seminarian, certainly I don't know about permanent deacon candidates, but if you're a seminarian and you are quote unquote perfectly normal, perfectly well adjusted, you wouldn't last five minutes here, right? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> because you can't. This is a this is a nutty lifestyle. I mean, guys are up early in the morning in the chapel, running around, going to all these meetings, get getting evaluated on everything they do, you know, and um, and it's a very very disciplined lifestyle, and. Uh, you know, most perfectly well-adjusted people couldn't function this way. I would say, I mean, it's maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but it's uh, it's difficult. In any case, everybody has psychological issues, right? Nobody's perfect, right? Uh, the question, so, um, you, but you can't use the fact that somebody has a psychological issue. So, like, I, you know, I'm I'm obsessive compulsive, you know, um, and um, so probably are a good number of you as well. I hope you are. You know, um, otherwise you can't function. You know, um, in in a profession, right? But um, that's fine. You know, um, if, if if you then otherwise have a normal kind of life, you know. Um, but if you're so obsessive compulsive that uh, that you simply can't function, you know, uh, or or that everything is a big deal in your life and you can't get things done and so forth, you know, then then maybe you're you're not ready to get married, you know, so there's a difference, you know, and, and this was being trivialized and almost anything was being used um, as a pretext for applying Canon 1095 number two. You know, it's, uh, it, was, it was really a scandal because basically the attitude that, that um, many American tribunals had <clears throat> was the exact opposite of what Canon law says. Remember the Canon that says a marriage is presumed valid until proven otherwise? Very important to remember that. A marriage is presumed valid until it's proven otherwise. Well, people would come um, into a tribunal and they wanted an annulment. And the operating assumption of the tribunal was the exact opposite of what canon law says. They would say, oh, you want your annulment? Okay, we'll get you your annulment. That's basically the attitude. So the attitude was, we presume this marriage is invalid. The person wants the annulment? Okay, we're going to presume the marriage is invalid, we'll, and we're going to look for ways to... Um, to, to fit it into Canon 1095 number two somehow. That's what was being done. So what happened was because Canon law was being violated, that presumption of validity was uh, was was being flouted. What happened was there there was a divorce mentality that, that took hold almost overnight among the clergy in in the United States. You know, um, and I remember a conversation with. Uh, now Monsignor Joel Demort, who is the Vicar General for the Archdiocese, right? He's um, my, did I tell you about this? I might have mentioned this. He's, uh, he's my classmate. Yeah. And one, one year we were having a, a class reunion uh, in his parish that, that was uh, in, in Rockland County. Um, and uh, he had a marriage question uh, about a case that he was involved with. And I started answering him. But then he, at one point he said, however, it doesn't really matter because apparently everything I do is invalid anyway. I mean, it looked like a game that was being played, that um, uh, the attitude was, oh, you want an annulment? Okay, we're going to declare your marriage invalid, you know, almost like wink, wink, you know. We'll declare your marriage invalid. We'll get you your annulment. Don't worry about it. Yeah. That was kind of the attitude, you know. And oh, my God, you know. Um, 
I wonder what the Lord is going to say when some of us go home to, to meet him after doing that, that kind of stuff. You know? So this led to a, uh, overnight, this led to uh, a, a sea change in the attitude of Catholic clergy towards marriage. Um, and then, of course, immediately it took hold uh, among ordinary Catholics. So among ordinary Catholics, and you, everyone here knows this, right? Among ordinary Catholics, um, what is an annulment? An annulment is Catholic divorce, right? Isn't that the attitude that most Catholics have now nowadays? In my experience, it certainly is, right? Um, which means that Catholics, and a lot of Catholics nowadays, especially younger Catholics, don't even think of, of permanence in marriage as being something important. Because you can always get a divorce, you can always get an annulment, so what's the problem? The idea that marriage is permanent is something that is like out the window now. Uh, in in the uh, in not just in the United States in the culture in our country, but in the church herself, you know. So we have a lot of damage control uh, that we have to focus on, you know. Um, and it's you know it's it's a real problem. But uh, and the abuse of Canon 1095 number two uh, is is primarily responsible for that huge mess. All right. Um, the father, why, why don't they just take it out of the canon law then if it's such a controversial well, there, law? Because there is legitimate application. You know, the, the thing that uh, Dr. Anthony mentioned, you know, um, uh, and any kind of uh, scenario like that, you kind of know it when you see it. You know, ask any parent who has, uh, you know, a kid who got married, you know, who's, who might have been kind of immature or whatever. You kind of know it when you see it. You know, a typical scenario. I, I, I did, oh, I did so many cases based on this, I don't know, you know, I, I couldn't count them anymore, but um, a guy in college was really active in fraternity life. Is he not fraternity colleges? I don't even know anymore. He was really big in fraternity life. So the big thing was, you know, you, 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 know, you play touch football or whatever, but uh, you, you have these drunken parties all the time, right? And just hanging out with the guys kind of thing. It sounded like a great life, you know? Um, and then he would... Uh, somehow get a, get a job, he would do okay at the job, but he would still continue hanging out with his buddies and so forth, um, getting drunk and doing whatever. And he meets a girl, oh yeah, yeah, I should get married now, because so-and-so got married, I should get married now too. And you can tell, even during the, the, the courtship, uh, there's not much going on. I, I've seen this happen many times. A guy would he'd go out with a girl, and okay, I'll be nice, blah, 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 okay, we had our date and so forth, and he drops her off, and then he goes out and he gets drunk with his friends. You know, after that, and the guys that he really, people he really hangs out with that he can really share things with, are his drunken buddies from uh, fraternity or whatever, and he can't relate as an adult to a woman, you know, um, and he can't relate as an adult, as a matter of fact, to anybody, right? So, you see somebody like that, <clears throat> they're simply not ready to get married. The guy hasn't grown up enough. He's he's just kind of a mess. He, he's uh, he can do simple tasks. He might even be uh, okay at a at a profession, but his personal life is a mess, right? Um, and you, and there are all sorts of variations on that theme. So there are a lot of people in these situations. You can't say that Canon 1095.3 applies because 10, 1095.3 says the person has uh, a psychiatric problem that makes them incapable of marriage, right? So that would be very clear, schizophrenia, something like that, or advanced dementia, whatever it might be. Um, it makes simply makes them incapable of marriage. That's not what Canon 1095.2 says. Canon, Canon 1095.2 doesn't say that 
the person has a psychiatric problem that prevents them, but rather the person is has this kind of uh, behavior. There are psychological elements that certainly play a part, but it's more complex than that. And the person basically doesn't have the, the self-understanding that one needs to have in order to, to be married. And it applies to some cases. And as a matter of fact, it applies to an awful lot of cases these days. But not every single friggin' case, you know? And you can't use it for trivial uh, for trivial reasons either, you know? As the lack of due discretion about the person himself and that person's ability um, to, uh, to assume uh, the um, and to to assume the essential mat, uh, matrimonial uh, duties, right? So that's Canon 1095 too. So it has a legitimate place, but it has to be applied very very carefully. Right? So I wish I had more time to get into. Does that basically answer your question? Kind of, sort of, yeah. Yeah, thank I mean, you. It's an ongoing problem. It's uh, it's still not adequately understood. It's an ongoing problem. Um, Okay, so we'll uh, let's take a fifteen-minute break now. Okay. Okay, moving right along. I know we're going quickly, but that's the nature of the course now, and you know we don't have time to get into these things with any amount of leisure. Uh, but it's important that you know all this and really study this because you're going to be expected to know this when you're uh, when you're helping people uh, preparing for weddings and so forth. So we're on Canon now, Canon 1096. And then, don't forget, this is this whole section now is in the section um, that it's about matrimonial consent, Canon 1095 to 1107. Remember, consent is what makes the marriage. Okay? The consent of the parties. Remember, we saw that earlier on. Uh, what makes a marriage? It's not the blessing of the priest. It's not the the parents making a decision that they want their kids to get married. No, it, it is the consent of each of the parties. That makes the marriage, and nothing can replace that consent. So it's important to remember that. So you have to um, you have to determine that consent really happens. Otherwise, there's no marriage. There's simply no marriage. Okay? So we already saw what can. Um, uh, Canon 1095, which is about people who are incapable of giving consent, in effect. Okay. Now, Canon 1096, ignorance. And this is becoming more and more important in, uh, in, in I know, in annulment cases, uh, because people, as time goes on and the church is less and less influenced in the secular world, people have all sorts of ideas about marriage that come from, uh, come from the media, and they're all BS. And they they simply don't know what marriage is when they when they when they when they go to get married. So for matrimonial consent to exist, Canon 1096, the contracting parties must be at least not ignorant that marriage is a permanent partnership between a man and a woman, ordered to the preparation of offspring by means of some sexual co cooperation. This ignorance is not presumed after puberty. Um, so we presume we presume that people know what. Uh, ignorance, what what, uh, what marriage is, right? Uh, after after puberty, we presume they know it, according to this canon. This canon is almost getting outdated, though, because of the way the culture is going. So uh, the, they must be at least not ignorant that marriage is a permanent partnership between a man and a woman, or just the procreation of offspring. Well, how many people are in fact ignorant of that? You know, how many people nowadays uh, think that marriage is 
whatever it is, you know, if you love the horse, it's not quite that bad yet, but it's getting that way, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Um, it's whatever, it's whatever I decided, I decided I wanted to be, that's marriage, you know, um, and the idea that it is, first of all, even if it's, it's between a man and a woman, right, nowadays, oh, no, no, not at all, you know, um, and also that it's permanent, you know, most people would say, oh, give me a break, that would be nice, but please, and it's ordered to the cooperation of offspring or means of some sexual cooperation. There are an awful lot of people who don't even know these basics anymore, right? So you have to look for that sometimes. I mean, I would presume that by the time you're finished with them, when you're preparing them for marriage, they will uh, they will basically know what marriage is, right? Uh, but some people really don't know what it is, you know? So, um, so that's something to watch out for. Sometimes that could be the the basis of an annulment because uh, the person simply didn't know what they were consenting to. Uh, Canon 1097, um, <clears throat> it's error about the person. Now this uh, this is used sometimes again uh, in in tribunals to declare a marriage invalid. Um, there are two parts to this: Canon 1097 one and Canon 1097 two. Um, Canon 1097 1 says, uh, error concerning the person renders the marriage invalid. Number two, error concerning the quality of the person does not render a marriage invalid, even if it is the cause for the contract, unless its quality is directly and principally intended. Now, Canon 1097 1 uh, would be if you think this person is somebody else. You know, um, when, when Jacob marries uh, Leah, he wanted to marry Rachel. But the father's stuck in Leah at the last minute. You know that story. You better know that story from the Book of Genesis, right? So uh, you, so he thought he was marrying Rachel. He ended up with Leah. Now, if he wanted to, if we had Catholic tribunals back then, he could have had that marriage declared invalid because it was error of person. He married the wrong person. But then he agreed to say married. You know the story. He agreed to say married to Leah, and then eventually he did marry Rachel as well because they had polygamy in those days, etc. Um, but if you if you marry a person, you think that person is simply someone else. You marry, uh, someone is marrying. They think this person is the king of England, but he's not. You know, he's an imposter, whatever. You know, so it's a mistake of the person himself or herself, right? Now, obviously, that doesn't happen too often, but it has happened. Right? Um, but in our experience, it doesn't happen too often. It's never happened in my experience. But error concerning the quality of the person—that's something else. Um, if the quality is directly and principally intended. So uh, if, if, uh, if someone uh, mar marries someone that uh, they, they think is, um, you know, is six feet tall, they, they, they always wanted to marry somebody who's tall, um, but they've never seen the person standing up and, and they find out that the person is really 5'8", and they're all upset. Well, that's silly, you know, um, whatever, you know. If, you know, I, I, I wanted to marry somebody who had blue eyes and you have gray eyes because you wear contacts and I didn't know that you changed the color of your eyes. You know, yeah. Um, that's a quality of the person that's, that's, that's trivial, right? But suppose uh, a person um, grows up in an alcoholic family. Uh, so suppose a, a woman, and I've had these cases, suppose a, a woman grows up in an, in an alcoholic family. Uh, the, the parents are both alcoholics. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, yelling and screaming. There's, there's even physical abuse. Uh, and there's finally a divorce. And, and she suffered terribly because of, of um, the alcoholism of, of her parents. 
So she has one basic requirement for anybody she's going to be, she's going to marry, and that is that he not have a problem with alcohol. That's the bottom line. She will not marry someone who has a problem with alcohol. And she, she chooses to marry someone who presents himself as someone who does not have any problems with alcohol at all. As it turns out, though, he's one of these guys we were talking about earlier who has, goes, behaves himself and he goes out on a date with her. Then he drops her off and goes out with guys and, and, and gets wasted on, on booze. Right? So it turns out that he is an alcoholic. And, uh, and that, re, that, that fact uh, becomes painfully uh, clear soon after they are married. And she wants a divorce and she wants an annulment. You can grant the annulment possibly on the basis that this quality of person was something that was principally intended. She married him, um, partially at least, because he he was not an alcoholic, right? And it turns out that that was false, right? So it was an error of quality of, of person. Uh, if someone, the old cliche, you know, I want to marry a nice a nice doctor, right? Uh, so a guy. Uh, but say say a woman is fixated on this. I'm going to marry a, a medical doctor, you know, um, and, and he has to be a doctor. That's that's the only person I want to marry. That's my qualification. I insist on for for my husband. So a guy wants to marry this this woman, and he presents himself as a doctor. Turns out he's not a doctor. Uh, and she finds this out soon after they get married, and she divorces him because this was something that she had intended. This quality of this person, he was a doctor. And it turns out he wasn't. You know, there's also fraud involved in other things. But, but quality of quality of person, um, you can say in a case like that that uh, possibly the marriage was invalid for that reason. Possible. You have to ask a lot of questions about it. So you, you see the basic idea here, right? As opposed to, you know, uh, I you know I don't I don't like uh, you know any anybody who's who's a Mets fan. I don't like anybody who's a Mets fan. Uh, it turns out Mets fan. He lied and said it was the Yankees fan, and then they get married, and it turns out he's a Mets fan, and she's all upset. You know, well, that's that's you know that that's not quality that's principally intended. You see the you see the difference? It has to be something. Uh, it has to be something very basic that goes to the, the heart of the consent. I consent to marry you, the doctor. You know, I consent to marry you, the sober person. Right. So it's a quality of person. Right. And that can render, render marriage, can possibly render marriage invalid. Fraud, this comes up once in a while. Fraud or imposed error. Uh, can in 1098, a person contracts invalidly who enters into a marriage deceived uh, by malice, perp perpetrated to obtain consent concerning some quality of the other partner of which by its very nature can gravely disturb the partnership of conjugal life. We saw a reference made to this already uh, in the canon about uh, um, uh, uh, about in, infertility, in, impotence and in, in, um, infertility, right? That it's, it said infertility does not make a marriage invalid except that canon 1098 might be involved. So if a woman has her heart set on having children, and the guy knows he's got a problem. The guy knows he's infertile, right? Um, and he marries her anyway, you know. And then they don't have children, and she and she says, "What's going on?" They go to a doctor, and he finally admits it. You know, well, that was fraud. That was fraud. Uh, he deceived her in order to to obtain consent, and he deceived her about a very serious uh, uh, matter. 
So, um, so in a case like that, um, it's something that by its quality of the other partner, which by its very nature can gravely disturb the partnership of conjugal life. I've seen guys who had uh, problems with homosexuality, and they were hoping that uh, it would go somehow go away. And they thought, if, you know, if I just marry, uh, get married to a woman, you know, then then maybe this, it'll all go away. You know, and they get married, and it's a big mess. And finally, it comes out that he's um, he he, uh, he has a homosexual orientation and so forth. Um, but he deceived her. That was fraud. Right? And something about it's about a matter that can gravely disturb conjugal life. So things like that uh, would come under the um, the uh, the category of, of fraud. And so be aware of those things. All, all of these things invalidate consent. Um, <clears throat> determining error. This is something that is being used more and more. Uh, it wasn't used much at all when uh, when I began to work as a as a uh, canon lawyer, now it's being used with some frequency. Uh, error concerning the unity or indissolubility or sacramental dignity of marriage does not vitiate matrimonial consent, provided that it just does not determine the will. So if a person doesn't know what marriage really is, that may or may not make the marriage invalid. So suppose uh, this happens all the time, you know, many, many people now think uh, it's perfectly fine for, uh, for two women to get married. Right. Um, whatever. You know, that's fine. But say, say a guy believes that, yeah, two women can get married, two guys can get married, whatever. Yeah. But he himself is very clear in, uh, in, in his uh, heterosexual interest that he wants to marry someone for life uh, and to be faithful to her and to have kids. Right. So it doesn't affect uh, his um, what he chooses to do in terms of getting married. He, he might believe something. But it's not what he himself is consenting to. It's not what he himself is doing. So it doesn't it doesn't affect the validity of the marriage. But suppose, <clears throat> and this happens all the time now. Suppose a person grows up in a family where there's a lot of divorce. His parents got divorced. Um, you know, his uh, you know his sister and his brother both got divorced. Divorce is 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 the thing. Sorry, I'm walking over too far. Uh, divorce is the thing in his um, in his family. Um, and he, um, and that's that's his understanding of marriage. That you that uh, marriage is not necessarily forever. You can get divorced. Uh, you send him to pre-cana. He, he couldn't care less what pre-cana says. He just ignores it. Uh, and he basically believes he doesn't tell you this because they they often lie to you when they're you know when they're um, uh, when you're sitting down with them in preparation for marriage. He, he you know he lies and says oh marriage is forever, but he doesn't believe it. He himself really believes that that. Uh, um, that marriage is not necessarily indissoluble, that marriage is not necessarily permanent. Um, and in fact, he, he then, when things get inconvenient, he finally decides that he's going to divorce, right? So that's called determining error. So he has a basic error in his understanding of what marriage is, and it determines his consent. So when he's consenting, he's not consenting to permanence. You know, he, he, he might yes you to death, but he's not consenting to permanence. And even more often than that, than that, or or as often as that, people don't uh, necessarily consent to um, the possibility of uh, of openness to um, uh, the, of openness to the possibility of children uh, with uh, marital sexual relations. Right. So um, 
and in, in our culture, that's that's kind of a given, you know, that, uh, oh, sure, we can have a childless marriage, no problem, right? He doesn't believe that that's an essential part of marriage. If you, if you have sexual relations in marriage, then you have to be open to the possibility of having children. That's not part of what he's consenting to, right? So all this comes from his background, the culture, and all of the rest, and it really determines his consent. So he's not consenting to what marriage really is. Okay. So that's called determining error. And we're seeing more and more of that. I didn't see any of it when I was when I began working on a tribunal. Now I see it all the time because of the culture that we live in. Right? Canon 1099, determining error. Uh, as I mentioned, just mentioned, uh, Canon 1100, the knowledge or opinion of the nullity. Well, no, I'm sorry. This is something else. The knowledge or opinion of the nullity of the marriage does not necessarily exclude matrimonial consent. Right. Um, so again, we presume a marriage is valid until proven otherwise. You might have an idea that a marriage is null, um, but that's up to a tribunal to prove, right? Um, um, the uh, and it, well, it can happen sometimes. People uh, incorrectly assume that they are invalidly married, but that's something else. Um, uh, a person could think a marriage is invalid, and they can still consent to it. It's kind of weird, you know. But, uh, that's what this canon is saying. I wouldn't worry about this canon too much, however. On the other hand, can 1101, oh my God, it comes up all the time. Can 1101 called simulation, simulation of consent. Uh, there is um, uh, partial simulation and there's total simulation. Uh, so can 1101, number one, the internal consent of the mind is presumed to conform to the words and signs used in celebrating the marriage. So if someone goes through a marriage ceremony, you presume that they meant what they said when they exchange their vows, right? Uh, you presume the marriage is, is, is valid. You presume they meant what they said. Um, but sometimes, shock, I know this is a shock, sometimes people are lying. They're, they're not consenting to what they're saying they're consenting to. No. Um, number two, if, however, either or both of the parties by a positive act of the will exclude marriage itself, some essential element of marriage or some essential property of marriage the party contracts invalidly and this happens with some frequency unfortunately so um uh, i think the laws may have changed but it used to be kind of common that people would simulate marriage to get a green card right um they would go through a marriage ceremony and get a marriage license and look at me i'm married now you know and they would uh, you know preserve that as far as they were concerned it was a legal fiction preserve that until things settled down and they got their citizenship and then they could divorce, right? Um, so sometimes people would totally simulate marriage. They don't intend to be married to this person at all, right? It's total simulation. Sometimes, um, and you see this in movies, you might have experienced it in real life, sometimes someone will marry um, uh, someone because they, they want their money, you know? So, uh, you know, some rich person, somebody marries them uh, because they want their money. They don't intend to be married to the person. Maybe it's an older person on, on his deathbed. You know, um, they marry them, and as soon as they can, they uh, either divorce and take a, a huge settlement, or they wait till the person dies, whatever. Um, that marriage would be invalid. It's simulated. The person doesn't intend to be married at all. The question you ask is: At the time that they got married, was the person intending really to be married, or was the person using this marriage ceremony as a means to something else? And if that is the case, you have what's called total simulation. Right? Then you have what's called partial simulation. 
So a couple could get married, but they um, they're they're not consenting to marriage fully. They they might be uh, consenting to uh, uh, to two out of the three Augustinian goods. So they're consenting perhaps to, to permanence and fidelity, but they're not consenting to openness to children if they have um, sexual relations. Right. So that would be partial simulation with an intention against the possibility of having children. Called contra bonum prolis. Um, you might see this occasionally in in an annulment. Um, so partial simulation of this right with an intention uh, contra. See this? Yeah. Bonum. Prolis against the good of, of offspring. Can you see that more or less? And there could be an intention contra um, bonum fidei against the intention of, of fidelity, right? Um, contra bonum sacramenti, which is against the good of, of, of permanence, right? So um, there's so this is partial simulation. They basically want to be married. But no, we're not going to be open to having children. We're going to be married, okay, uh, but we're not committing to permanence. We'll see how it goes. So it's an intention against uh, the good of permanence, right? And once in a while, let's get married, but we'll continue to fool around. So that's intention against, um, it's partial simula simulation with an intention against the good of fidelity, right? So you have total simulation. Marriage itself, they simulate the whole thing. Or partial simulation, they simulate part of the marriage, right? Okay, um, and again, that that comes up very frequently. Father Elder? Yes. What happens in the case of, uh, I don't know how, if you run into it a lot, but prenuptial agreements, how does... Ah, good, um, good point, yeah. Um, it, it depends. Um, well, actually, we're going we're gonna to address that right now. Uh, the, very, the very next canon. Okay. Um, so ask me that question again after we've treated this canon. Canon 1102. Um, a marriage subject to a condition about the future cannot be contracted validly. Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll get into it. A marriage entered into subject to a condition about the past or the present is valid or not insofar as that which is subject to the condition exists or not. Uh, don't worry about number three there. So, um, Canon 1102, number one, a marriage subject to a condition about the future cannot be contracted validly. So I marry you on the condition that you finish your MA um, and uh, and become a, you know, a, a, a DRE, okay? Um, so that's, that's the condition that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in love with you because you're an MA student uh, in theology and that's just the best thing ever. Uh, and I'm expecting you to, to be a DRE when you finish. Uh, and if you don't, I'm not going to marry, you know, that, that's why I'm marrying you. So I marry you on that condition. And so, but uh, the person marries you while you're still studying for your, for your MA. And then it turns out for whatever reason, you don't get the MA, or you get the MA, you don't become the DRE. So the condition that she had placed in the marriage never happens. So the marriage is invalid. Now, uh, you know, a person, again, say a person uh, uh, 
wants to marry someone who's, who's uh, studying to be a lawyer, so the person is in law school, right? And uh, I'm marrying you on the condition that you finish law school and become a lawyer. Well, they get married, and then he gets bored with canon, uh, canon law. <laughs> Never get bored with canon law. He gets, <laughs> he gets married with, he gets married. Ooh, he gets, I'm trying to talk so fast. He, he gets bored with civil law, and he decides, nah, I don't want to be a lawyer after all, and he goes on to something else. And he doesn't become a lawyer. So they get divorced. Now, uh, since a marriage is subject to, to a condition about the future, it cannot be contracted validly, because if the condition is something that's going to happen in the future, the condition doesn't exist at the time consent is given, so consent is not given. You know, consent is given to the, the guy who's, who's a, a lawyer, but he's not a lawyer yet, so the consent isn't given yet. The consent isn't given until this thing happens in the future. So the, so the marriage is invalid. The thing hasn't happened yet, so the, so the, the consent is, uh, is invalid. Now, number two, a marriage entered into subject to a condition about the past or the present is valid or not insofar as that which is subject to the condition exists or not. So I uh, I marry you on the condition that you really did get the Nobel Prize in physics, you know. So I, I marry you on that condition because that, you, you know, you, you tell me back in 2014 you got the uh, Nobel Prize in physics. Um, and it turns out that's false, right? So there's fraud involved. But there's also this condition. I wanted to marry a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, this person uh, says he is Nobel Prize winner, but it turns out he's not. So it's a condition of the of the past, uh, condition of the present. You know, um, I want to marry um, uh, a, a successful businessman. You know, who has his own company that's doing really well. So the guy claims that he had he he is a successful businessman and has a company that's doing really well. It turns out it's all. You know, it's a whole lot of BS. He's lying to her. He doesn't have a company at all, or he has a company that went under. He's not a successful businessman. So it's a condition of the present, uh, and she married him on that condition, uh, and so therefore the marriage is invalid. So, um, uh, so a condition placed on on a marriage uh, about the future is always invalid because it doesn't, it doesn't happen yet. So it's invalid if it's a facto. Right? A condition about the present or the past. It depends on whether or not the condition actually exists. Okay. And 1103, marriage is invalid if entered into because of force or grave fear from without, even if unintentionally inflicted so that a person is compelled. Did, did we answer the question uh, about prenups? I don't know if we did. No. No. Dr. Anthony? No. Did not. Answer. So, yeah. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Well, it, um, if you have if you have a prenup, I remember when um, when John Kennedy Jr. Uh, got got married, and uh, there was this oh god this <laughs> this renegade um, Jesuit priest whom I actually knew because uh, he believe it or not he had gone to Columbia. I'm embarrassed to say I went to Columbia also, and um, uh, he he um, he met uh, John. Uh, John Kennedy in, uh, in law school, I think. I forget what law school they went to. NYU maybe or, or maybe, maybe Columbia. I don't know. And uh, he made his business. He made it his business to, to befriend him and and get involved with the Kennedy family and so forth. And he became sort of their their go-to priest for various things, you know. Um, and uh, then John decided he wanted to uh, to get married, and there was a prenup involved. 
So remember, there was a meeting uh, that the Cardinal held. He wanted to know what was involved with this prenup. And um, I think no one had given permission for any of this. The whole thing was kind of strange. Um, and so there's a debate about uh, what the prenup meant. It depends on what's in the prenup, you know? If it's, um, uh, if it's, if it contains a condition of some kind, a future condition, then it invalidates the marriage. You know, um, if it if it contains uh, provisions about uh, what will happen if this marriage breaks up, and who gets what, it depends. It depends. Um, if if it uh, if it was entered into because uh, someone has an intention against permanence, uh, then the prenup itself would be evidence uh, of, of this of this at least partial simulation or maybe total simulation, right? Um, if it was entered into because, you know, they're two very, you know, wealthy, well-connected, famous people and so forth, and it's just a prudent thing to do, lawyers say they should do it, but they, they're, they're absolutely madly in love and they, they want us to be married for the rest of their lives, they intend to be married for the rest of their lives, intend to be faithful, want to have a whole bunch of kids and so forth, uh, then the prenup would kind of be moot. But if it, but if it's evidence of, of a simulation of some kind, um, or if, if it's evidence of a future condition of some kind, then it could, um, it could be part of part of evidence as, uh, in fact, for a marriage being invalid. Does that help? Yeah, but that, that would kind of be something where your pastoral skills need to kick in to figure out, like, yeah. what's really going on. Oh, you got that right, yeah. Uh, if we're doing prenups, nah, you know. Um, well, I, well, I don't want to get into stories, but boy, uh, I know. I'm thinking of one very nasty prenup situation. that they, they, The parties supposedly were very much in love. I know he was in love with her. Uh, he was Catholic. She was non-Catholic from Europe. He was from the United States, and um, and she had very uh, very wealthy parents. The parents hated Catholics. They hated Americans. Uh, they demanded that she have a prenup. Uh, he went along with it and so forth. Um, but we all had our doubts about this. And finally, her family got the better of her when, when there were problems in the marriage, and she decided to divorce him and, and uh, take him for for a ride. You know? So. Um, yeah, you got to watch those things. It, it really is a pastoral issue, as much as anything. Okay, um, Canon 1103, a marriage is invalid if entered into because of force or grave fear from without, even if unintentionally inflicted, so that a person is compelled to choose marriage in order to be free from it. So you have to be careful that a person is freely choosing to marry. Um, that those are That's a question that would be asked uh, that bluntly uh, in, on the PMI, you know, and you will ask uh, the couple at the at the wedding itself, uh, are you freely choosing to marry each other? You know, um, and there are various ways in which uh, uh, you have to try to make sure that they are freely choosing to marry. To marry because sometimes it happens they're they're not freely choosing to marry. Sometimes it's an arranged marriage. Um, I mentioned about Albanians, right? Um, we've had a problem with uh, some ethnic Albanians in, in the archdiocese, you know, where they have arranged marriages. The kids don't want to be married; they're forced into it. You know, sometimes it happens, uh, probably still happens, um, where uh, a girl gets pregnant, and the and the, the family forces her to marry the guy, right? And they don't want to be married, you know, force and fear, and if, and they, they basically. Tell her if you don't if you don't marry we're cutting you off whatever. 
Sometimes uh, someone will, will get married out of uh, what's called um, reverential fear. They're afraid of their parents because of what their parents might do, even though the parents, in fact, don't, would not do it. You know, so a, a, a girl might come from a very um, uh, strict family, you know, and she um, she she gets herself pregnant and she's terrified uh, about what her uh, her parents are going to do to her. So rather than uh, than acknowledge the fact that um, uh, she's gotten herself uh, pregnant, she she wants to get married really quickly. Right? Uh, it's perceived uh, force. Uh, it's 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 reverential fear. She has the fear of her of her parents um, or someone in that kind of or someone in, in in an analogous position, and she um, she marries she marries the person even though she does not want to marry the person, right? So um, it it could be that that marriage would be declared uh, invalid because she was basically forced into it. You know, her parents didn't intend that, but that was her perception. Um, okay, Canon 1104, um, to contract a marriage validly, the contracting parties must be present together either in person or by proxy. Um, uh, in, 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 the, in New York, you're not permitted to have uh, proxy marriages, so the person must be present in person. Um, those being married are to express matrimonial consent in words or if they cannot speak through equivalent signs. So it has to be clear that they are giving consent, however that consent is obtained. Okay. We'll skip 1105 because uh, we don't have proxy mar marriages in New York. Um, can 1106, uh, a marriage can be contracted through an interpreter. Uh, the pastor is not to assist at it, however, unless he is certain of the trustworthiness of the interpreter. Right. So uh, sometimes that happens, you know, um, in, a, in a metropolitan area like, like ours, you can have people with all sorts of languages, so you need interpreters. That's, that's fine as long as they're trustworthy. Um, number 10, 1107. Uh, even if a marriage was entered into invalidly by reason of an impediment or a defective form, the consent given is presumed to persist until its revocation is established. So that can happen sometimes. Um, happens frequently. The marriage is invalid, but the but the, the the couple really did consent to it. And sometimes you end up convalidating the marriage, and um, uh, and the fact that they the consent has has continued uh, is an important factor in the convalidation. We'll see that later. Right. Sorry, we're, we're rushing through these things, but we have to cover all this. All right. um, so that's consent, uh, which is what makes the marriage, as we have said. Now, um, the form of the celebration of marriage. Um, and I've already spoken a lot about the great canon 1108. So here it finally is. Uh, gentlemen and lady, I introduce you to canon 1108. Um, only those marriages are valid which are contracted before the local ordinary pastor or a priest or deacon delegated by either of them uh, who assisted before two witnesses according to the rules expressed in the following canons without prejudice to the canons, um, uh, to the exceptions mentioned in canon, canons and it lists all these other canons. So we're, we're talking about, you know, common error and various other things we don't need to get into now. But um, so only those marriages are valid which are contracted before uh, an ordained person, right? Um, and 
just a complete canon 1108, the person who assisted a marriage is understood to be only that person who is present, asks for the manifestation of the consent of the contracting parties, and receives it in the name of the church. We're going to get into this. And then, just to make matters more complicated, this was pointed out to me recently, there's been an addition to canon 1108. <laughs> um, Pope Francis, uh, is, boy, he really... Just, he, he loves it, to change canon law, you know, and uh, and some of these things happen with, without our really almost knowing about them. So, um, canon 1108, I was not aware of this until somebody pointed it out to me. And fortunately, I have a more recent edition of the Code of Canon Law. Um, there's now a, a third paragraph in canon 1108. It's not in the copies that you have, unless you've got a very recent copy, this like this one. Um, but the new, the new edition, um, the third paragraph says, only the priest, only the priest assists validly at the marriage between two Eastern parties or between a Latin party and an Eastern Catholic or non-Catholic party. Um, so this is uh, an attempt to harmonize the Latin code, which we have, and the Eastern code, and sometimes we have... Uh, a person from the Latin Rite, the Roman Rite, marrying a person from an Eastern Rite. The Eastern Rite requires that the person who performs the, 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 the wedding be a, a priest or a bishop. A deacon, and guys know this, a deacon cannot do a wedding for an Eastern Rite Catholic or an Eastern Rite non-Catholic. So if you have uh, a, a Catholic uh, a Western Rite Catholic who wants to marry an Eastern Rite Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox, you cannot do it. Okay, just be aware of that. Uh, in the Eastern Rite, it must be at least a priest. In the Western Rite, uh, deacons can do uh, weddings, as you know, no problem. And, and pastors, we're all very grateful to you for, for, for doing this. Um, but uh, when it comes to a marriage between a Latin Rite and an Eastern Rite person, either an Eastern Rite Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox, you may not do it, and this affects validity. It affects validity. I just had a case like this um, where a, a deacon, um, a transitional deacon actually, uh, did a wedding uh, in good faith and found out afterwards, oh, no, 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 we can't do that because the person, the Western Rite Catholic, was marrying an Eastern Rite Catholic. So just be aware of that, okay? You cannot do um, a wedding for a Catholic, a Western Rite Catholic marrying an Eastern Rite Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox. That's the third paragraph of the Canon 1108, a very new edition just a couple of years ago. All right, but getting back to Canon 1108 number one, um, now, first of all, I've asked you this a zillion times. I'm asking you again, once more with feeling, is this divine law or ecclesiastical law? Ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastical law. This is not divine law. Does this law apply to non-Catholics? No. No. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. So if two non-Catholics get married in a non-Catholic ceremony, that is perfectly valid. Okay. And it doesn't mean it's it's valid for them, but it's not married for, valid for Catholics. No, it's valid. <laughs> okay. We're talking about divine law here. It's valid. It's important, it's essential that we uh, we recognize that fact, okay? Other, otherwise, uh, and I, that question that we had in the midterm, you know, where 
uh, Deacon Stupid uh, was the father of everything. Deacon Stupid, father whoever it was, he was pretty stupid. Um, said, uh, says, you know, to the non-Catholic who's married to a non-Catholic, oh, that's not a problem. It was a non-Catholic marriage, and they're all invalid because of Canon 1108. So, so you can marry, you can now marry the Catholic in my church. No, no, no. That marriage is valid. So the person probably needs an annulment before they can marry the, uh, the Catholic or some other process, perhaps, which we'll get into. All right. So, uh, but this is an ecclesiastical law for validity. Catholics must be married um, before a before an ordained person, validly uh, delegated a person who has faculties. So, a, a bishop, a priest, deacon, um, whoever. Um, that's the basic for Ken 1108. And who is the person who assisted a marriage? The person who assisted a marriage is understood to be only that person who is present, asks for the manifestation, the consent of the contracting parties, and receives it in the name of the church. So I did, uh, I think, I don't know if I told you the story or not. Um, I, I did a wedding for my nephew down in Florida, who was marrying, this, this would be a, oh, this would be a great uh, <laughs> final exam question. Uh, I did a, a, I did a wedding for my, my nephew, a Catholic, who married a Jewish girl down in Florida. Um, so, you know, I, and, and um, they went back and forth, but her family insisted that they have, wasn't even a rabbi, it was a cantor, you know? Anyway, it was a whole, oh God, uh, anyway. So we had to uh, work it out between us, you know. So um, the law says, and we'll see this later, the law says it's either a Catholic ceremony or it's a Jewish ceremony, or whatever the other denomination is. You can't mix and match. You can't have half Catholic and half Jewish. You can't have one, you can't have the, Jew, the Jewish cantor asking for consent from Rachel and, and Father Bill asking for consent uh, from Justin. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. You know? So it's either a Catholic ceremony or it's a Jewish ceremony. At first they were going to go with a Catholic ceremony, but her family weighed in. That was the end of that. Fine. We had a Jewish ceremony. And we had it at um, um, the, the, I think it was called the Addison Inn, uh, in this, this courtyard they had with a fountain involved. So the, the, um, the cantor was, I told him, you, it's your show, you know, I'll say a little prayer, you know. Um, and when we showed, when we showed up, we had arranged that I would wear, um, a cassock and surplice and stole. He said, I'll wear an academic, uh, robe of some kind and so forth. Well, when he showed up, he forgot, you know, I'm all ready to go. I'm vested and he doesn't, he's wearing nothing but a suit. So I had to change into this, you know, and put a stole over it. And that was, that was the wedding. Oh God, I'm still fuming over that <laughs> wedding. So they have a kid and they're doing well. So God bless them. But then um, he was saying, well, how about, he said this to me, how about if you take the vows and I'll do the rings? And I said, no, the vows are the heart of it. And whoever does the vows is the one who, who signs the license. He's the one who presides. He said, well, for Jews, it's just the opposite. For Jews, the vows are not important, but the rings are important. I'm sorry. My little. <laughs> so um, he didn't see it the same way I did, but I said, I'm sorry. You do the vows, you do the rings. I'll do a little blessing, that's it. You know? um, so, but the, my point is that the cantor, the Jewish cantor, he was the one who presided at that, at that wedding, okay? I was just there as an extra added attraction, okay? So the person who was present, he has to be present. He asked for the manifestation of the consent of the contracting parties, 
receives it in the name of the church or whoever, you know. So the one who asks for the consent and receives the consent is the one who assists at the marriage, okay? Um, all right, so I hope you get it, Canon 1108, all right? Very important, okay? Um, <clears throat> so uh, who can um, assist at a, at a marriage? Um, unless can 1109 unless the local ordinary pastor had been excommunicated interdicted suspended most declared such to sentence to decree etc etc by virtue of their office so pastors say by virtue of their office and within the confines of their territory they assist validly at the marriages not only of their subjects but also of those who are not their subjects provided that one of them is of the latin rite. so if you're in a particular parish say uh it is that that pastor um can assist validly at, at weddings of, of anybody who um, who lives who lives there, and indeed of anyone who who is present there. Okay, and of course you can be delegated. Um, um, you can you you could you could be delegated the the um, uh, the authority to uh, um, to assist at weddings, right? So we'll we'll see that in a minute. Can eleven ten by virtue of office. A personal ordinary and a personal pastor says validly only at marriages where at least one of the parties is a subject within the confines of their jurisdiction. Don't worry about that now. We're talking about uh, uh, personal parishes and so forth that we've already discussed. Um, we have a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll just touch on this. Uh, can, can 1111, as long as they hold office validly, the local ordinary and the pastor can delegate to priests and deacons the faculty, even a general one, of assisting in marriages within the limits of their territory. To be valid, the delegation of the faculty to assist in marriages must be given to specific persons expressly. If it concerns special delegation, it must be given for a specific marriage. If it concerns general delegation, it must be given in writing. So um, as part of your assignment to a parish, you'll be, you'll be um, given faculties to, uh, uh, to do weddings in that parish. Um, but if you go to visit another parish, the, the pastor can um, can delegate uh, to you uh, the faculty to assist at, uh, at, 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 uh, at, a, at a marriage, right? Um, uh, typically, that's done specifically for, for one wedding, right? Um, and to cut to the chase, uh, if, if you are doing a wedding in another parish, uh, you must be delegated by the pastor or by the parochial vicar, uh, for that matter, if there is one. But you must be delegated, and you must hear those words. Make sure you hear the word. Make sure, sure you hear the pastor saying to you, I give you delegation. If you get it in writing so much, the better. But make sure you hear those words, whether it's in person or over the phone. Hear those words. You, you must receive delegation. He must tell you, you have delegation. Okay, That's all important. If you don't have delegation, marriage is invalid. So make sure you hear those words or get them in writing. Okay? Uh, you can get the delegation verbally if you're just going to do one wedding. If you if you do a number of weddings in that in that uh, uh, pa parish, the pastor might want to give you general delegation. He, he might say to you, you can you can do weddings anytime you want in my parish. Then he must put that in writing. That's Canon 1111 number two. Okay. Um, Okay, so either for a specific wedding, hear the words, I give you delegation, um, or get it in writing. That's for one one wedding. If it's for weddings in general, then uh, you must get um, delegation in writing. Okay? Good.
that's a good place to stop because remember that that's going to come up a lot remember that okay it's going to come up a lot in your lives god willing okay we will continue next time thanks for your cooperation so we'll um i, I mentioned to you well, i'm going to give you a, a take-home exam um <clears throat> And so, in exchange for that, we will have an extra class because you're going to want it. All right? I think you want to get as much as you can. Get ready for uh, uh, for doing weddings. Yeah. And, and when will you give the exam, and when will it be due? Uh, I'm thinking about that. I think I'll um, I think I'll give it to you. Um, when would you like it? That one. You want to wait until the very last class, which would be the day you would. would been given the in-class exam, so in other words, two weeks from now. Wait a minute. Yeah, not next. Yeah, not next week, but the following week would be exam week. So the I can give it to you. The thirteenth. Yeah, I can give you. Yeah, the thirteenth. That's good. I can give it to you then, and then give you a week to get it back. If you prefer it next week, and it'll be the last day of class. Not next week. Pardon? I think oh, we have that's it in two weeks. That's in for twenty. Will be good. Pardon? Yeah, the 13th, and then return to the All right, I'll give it to you then. Then the the, the day. And the 13th, to the Wednesday. Pardon? To the Wednesday? Is that what you said? No, he said the 13th to receive the exam and to return it on the 20th. Yeah. Okay. Is that good? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you have basically you have exam week to do the exam. Yeah. Any chance? You know, like an outline of what you want us to do when we look at the future. Like, yeah, again, I, I, I can just go over that briefly. It's just, it's, it's not a, it's not a, a set format. Just uh, basically um, describe what happened, and then give your evaluation of it. You know, was it orthodox? You know, uh, was it helpful? Uh, was it touching um, what has to be touched upon to prepare people for marriage? Was it done effectively? You know, uh, how did it work? What were the good points? What were the negative points? What would you do differently? Okay. So, you know, three to five pages. Okay. And it's two, you know, by, by the end of the semester. Okay. Good. Okay. 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 Thank you, Father.